your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an every Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets, which is our official podcast Twitter handle. If you enjoy this episode and want to stay tuned to the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, any Odyssey app. Doing so doesn't cost you a single penny and ensures you never miss another episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS App Store and find one of our Locked On Rooms. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. On tonight's episode of this podcast, I thought it would be fun to talk about a bunch of different topics. I've had some time to process Winnipeg's comments at the end of the uh, Montreal series, some stuff about the season wrap-ups and certainly how the Jets and the coaching staff felt. I have some thoughts about their responses to things and whether or not I'm actually happy with any of their answers. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about the semifinal rounds, one of which has actually started already between, uh, of course, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Islanders. And then finally, you know, it's been talking a lot about hockey this season. I thought I might go a little bit of fun with some off-topic stuff and talk about some of the presentations from E3 that I thought you would really enjoy. Some games that maybe you should put on your radar because the next year or so are going to be great for releases. First, though, let's cover the Jets and talk about their their postseason wrap-up stuff, because I think a lot of people have had very interesting and polarizing reactions. By and large, I think the prevailing sentiment was that the Jets kind of felt like things weren't that bad and that they were okay, and that if they come back next season, they'll look much better, they'll be improved, and that this team is just coming into its own. Obviously, the whole prime age thing has kind of been a, a huge talking point, especially after Maurice made the reference, because, let's be honest... I think Winnipeg is at the age where they're not really in their primes so much as some of the top guys are starting to age out. They're getting closer to where you would start to see a bit of a downtrend in their play. And a lot of the replacement kids haven't quite made the NHL yet. You know, there's a there's a young core that will eventually form here with, with the Jets, but it's not really ready to start taking shape. Perfetti will certainly be at the forefront of this, along with Vili Heinola and more than likely Dylan Sandberg, David Gustafson, and a couple of other young prospects that are still making their way either in the junior leagues or overseas. But until that day arrives, Winnipeg still has to fortify the current roster. And I feel like the analysis from the team on the, uh, I guess, the post-series wrap-up and thoughts, I didn't really feel like the team was acknowledging some of the bigger issues. You know, they're not going to throw their guys and, and teammates under the bus, right? But... I also felt like the Jets were a little bit complacent, and this has kind of been a theme with this team for the past few years. One thing Maurice said is that he felt no one should ever be disappointed making the second round of the playoffs. And I I do agree with that to an extent. I think, obviously, advancing in the postseason, that's always your objective. You're not looking to fall out early. You want to advance. You want to win. That's what every team is striving for, right? But... I think it's failing to acknowledge that the process is really important for this. You know, you can win in a variety of ways, but the way that the Jets were winning isn't exactly something that I would call a model for sustainability. Connor Hellebuck can do a lot to mask this team. You really can't expect him to take you into the playoffs every season, though, especially three to four, even five years running. Hellebuck has done a lot for this team, and certainly the past couple of seasons, this has probably been the the, the true peak of his years. 
the performances he's put on in that have been just astounding and amazing. So for me, I look at the Jets and I see this and I wonder where exactly his support is coming from because I feel like the rest of the team, it's still very mediocre to me. Their performance has been middling at best. And while there are some amazing highs like, you know, Nikolai Ehlers putting on a massive year in terms of uh, actual point scoring, I feel like the rest of the team for me, it's a little bit of a step behind. And you listen to Paul Stastny talking about it, and when he was last here, he was very happy, he was enjoying things, the hockey was great, the team was dominant, Stastny was fitting in perfectly, and then he comes back this season, and I remember a couple of weeks ago when the team was embroiled in that losing streak, he said everyone has some some sort of cheating in their game. And that statement kind of stuck with me because it's one of the rare times that the Jets have actually let down their guard and said something about the fact that, quite honestly, the team wasn't performing up to snuff. Usually we get these sort of puff pieces and certainly quotes that don't really indicate things aren't that great. But Stastny, for the first time, kind of said, yeah, you know, everyone needs to take responsibility and there needs to be some accountability. That part for me is still very much a a question mark with this team. You know, the accountability and, and especially the reflection upon some of the early postseason exits and where the team is this year in in comparison to previous seasons, it doesn't really feel like we're actually moving forward. I feel like the Jets have kind of accepted that right now they're sort of stuck in this weird mushy middle and they're not really looking to be a deep playoff competitor, but they're not really looking to rebuild either. And I question what exactly is the direction the team wants to move. Do they want to improve? Are they looking to be a Stanley Cup contender? If they tell us this, I really need to see some sort of evidence in action. This is like a pivotal offseason for this team. We say it multiple years in a row, but I feel like with where, you know, the team is right now, the ages that everyone is moving towards, and the likely exit of of Hellebuck's prime over the next couple of seasons, the Jets don't really have many years left to, to be this awesome juggernaut of a team. Obviously, we're looking at the defense and the roster right now, and there's a lot of stuff to address. But we shouldn't overlook just how many special tools the coaching staff has been given to work with. Obviously, there are certain parts of the team that they really can't control, and the defense is probably the biggest issue, but the Jets have more than enough firepower to compensate for at least some of that. If you're not going to make Hellebuck's life easier inside the defensive zone, then score as many goals as you can at the other end of the ice. This is something that the Jets should be doing every single game, but oftentimes we see them being very conservative, playing very scared, and I guess I'm just confused by the point of it all. You know, if the, if the Jets want to be a, a passive, not very aggressive team, then I, I don't even know what the point of having this roster is. They have so much skill, so much talent, and really none of the tactical planning to make the most of it. Management also needs to get its act together. I feel like the Jets are are very hesitant to make moves, and in many respects, I do agree with some of the non-trades and calls that they've made. Certainly not acquiring Savard and some of the others at the deadline this year makes a lot of sense. But this offseason, they really have no excuse not to try and make some moves. I understand if they can't really recruit the top-end players because they don't want to come to Winnipeg for various reasons, and that's going to be, at times, out of Winnipeg's control. But even still, the Jets need to find a way to make some sort of improvement, at least a measure of success that that gives us at least a little bit more confidence going forward. This team right now is in a really bad spot, and I don't know if the Jets are willing to acknowledge that publicly. Privately, I'm going to guess that a lot of the players and coaching staff aren't really as rosy on the team, but I also kind of wonder what their own assessment is. Do they really think it's as bad as we think it is? Because I'm looking at this team and I'm like, that was something of a train wreck. If their assessment isn't quite as bad as ours, I I do worry about this team long-term because I really feel like folks are are sort of blinded to this team being as poor as it is. It's not enough to make the second round. There needs to be actual ambition to move on for greater things. 17-18, that team felt like it it was really gunning for it all. 
Racing for the Cup, all chips in, that was the year that I felt like Winnipeg was most committed. This season and the past few years, I'm not really seeing the same level of commitment to victory. The team and the fans deserve better, and I hope that this offseason at least kickstarts the conversation on how to get there. Obviously, the Jets' offseason will be pivotal, but we're still a ways away from that, and now it is actually time to reshift our focus to the NHL playoffs and the semifinals. I thought I'd talk a little bit about some of these very interesting matchups and what you should be looking out for because, let's be honest, some of these teams really weren't expected to be this deep. Lovey Habs, but let's be honest, I don't think anyone expected Montreal to somehow be in a semifinal of all things. Before we advance in our playoff round coverage, here's why you should be advancing towards creating account at Wealthfront Investment. Stonks, memes, rocket ships, day trading. Maybe you're familiar with some of these words, maybe they don't mean anything to you. Investing is always a very complicated process, but if you truly want to grow your long-term wealth and make it to the moon, you should open up a Wealthfront investment account today. Whether you're a beginner or a veteran investor, Wealthfront makes it easy. They have the right tools for every portfolio. Wealthfront can create a portfolio of globally diversified low-cost index funds personalized just for you in minutes. There's no manual trading, no picking stocks, and no anxiously watching the stock market every day. They automatically handle all the investing based on preferences you control. Wealthfront is trusted with over $20 billion of assets, and you can get your first $5,000 managed for free by going to Wealthfront.com slash LockedOnNHL. All you need is $500 to get started. Grow your wealth the easy way and let Wealthfront do the work for you. To get your first $5,000 managed for free for life, go to Wealthfront.com slash LockedOnNHL. That's W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T dot com slash LockedOnNHL to start growing your savings. Go to Wealthfront.com slash LockedOnNHL and get started today. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are now moving on to the third round of the playoffs right before we enter the Stanley Cup final run. Suffice it to say, I doubt anyone actually expected the NHL Final Four to look like this. Montreal, Vegas, Tampa Bay, and the New York Islanders. If you could have picked a more motley assortment of teams from the NHL, I don't really know if I'd come up with anything more interesting than this. Obviously, this postseason had quite a few underdogs, but I have to say, you know, I I never really imagined Montreal making it this far. When you look at the Canadians and the season that they've had, it's been a bit of a mixed bag, right? Under Ducharme, I feel like the team has... Maybe some interesting tendencies. You know, I think offensively they like to create off the rush. They definitely love counters. They like being aggressive and passing lanes and trying to jump them early so that they can retrieve the puck quickly and hopefully create up ice pressure. They know that they don't really defend all that well once they're pressed back. So you've seen them try to be really aggressive. Now, though, they face a very different test in the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas doesn't really have all that many weaknesses. When you look at the way that the Knights play, it's very aggressive. They kind of have some similar tendencies, but I think what Vegas does really well is that when they create from their back end, they also have defenders who actually defend pretty well. You know, they're very strong in possession. They make good outlet passes. They play with, I would call it purpose, which may sound strange to say, but it always seems to serve some sort of greater motive or purpose when they make a a certain move or they try to make a certain kind of pass. Every action feels purposeful with Vegas and they're very good at controlling the play in ways that other teams just can't. They've also got an amazing goalie in net in Marc-Andre Fleury who's been pretty much lights out for most of the season. Vegas' only real issue is that maybe the high-end goal scoring and talent that you're looking for isn't quite with this roster, but it doesn't really seem to matter. Max Pacioretty is returning into form He's been on fire since returning from injury, and no doubt everyone's going to be talking about how he's now playing his old team, and maybe there's some extra motivation for him to perform up to standard. I don't know if I entirely buy into those kinds of narratives, but certainly Pacioretty will look to try and show that he is a fantastic player and that he deserves more ice time. And really, Pacioretty, I feel like his time with Vegas has been, again, like a mixed bag, right? 
There are some really bright moments, but for the most part, Pacioretty, especially early, it wasn't great. In more recent times, though, I think Pacioretty's natural goal-scoring ability and skill in space has started to show itself, and really he just seems like he's having fun again. Vegas is a pretty good place to hit your wagon, so I'll be surprised if he doesn't have a couple of points here and there, especially against Montreal, who I feel like are going to have a really difficult time trying to contain that roster. Even if Vegas doesn't really have the kind of high-end skill that some of the teams like Tampa Bay and maybe Colorado have had, they make it work in other ways. They shut down Colorado's rush offense and did a really good job of piecing their defense apart, especially with those cross-seam passes, so I wouldn't be surprised if they actually do the same thing against Montreal and get to carry Price early. If they could get Price rolling around in his crease, I think it's going to be a really tough time for Montreal to help him out. The other series, Tampa Bay versus the Islanders, is actually going to be a really closely contested one. Uh, Tampa Bay has actually lost the first game already, 2-1 in a very close decision. The goals that Vasilevsky gave up weren't exactly of the highest caliber. But the Islanders always play a really cagey game, and I think it's very difficult to find ways through them. It's one of those strange teams where you don't really see anything that jumps off the page at you as being like a world-beating team. Uh, you know, Matt Barzal is really great. Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak are pretty great in their own right. You know, Semyon Verlamov and certainly Ilya Sorokin have been very good in decent turns. Jean-Gabriel Pajot has been a pivotal contributor for this team. But I, I have a hard time looking at this team and imagining that they're going to survive Tampa Bay. The thing with the Lightning is that, even if they struggle in a series, they always have the goaltending and finishing to eventually find their way in a best-of-seven. There are very few times where you can really neutralize and shut down their offense, especially if they start getting power plays. So, I think that's going to be one of the biggest storylines of this series. If the Islanders can stay out of the penalty box, they have a much better shot, because as soon as Tampa Bay goes on the power play, it's almost automatic against a lot of teams. You may be able to shut down Tampa Bay for at least one game, but I don't know about doing it over an entire series. Most teams that Tampa Bay has been frustrated by ended up by the wayside really quickly. Trotz will no doubt have a lot of work and management to do as he starts to prep for game number two, although, you know, taking one on the road already sets the precedent for a really good series, so I'm interested to see how this one resolves itself. If the hockey gods are in full chaos mode and we somehow get a Stanley Cup final of Montreal versus the Islanders, we might actually see Bettman just straight up resign. I'm mostly joking, but I'm sure half of the NHL ownership would just rather die than watch that sort of Stanley Cup final. It's the matchup that no one expected, but hey, maybe we actually find our way to it. Obviously though, Montreal and the Islanders are both going to have to hold up their end of the bargain, and it starts with winning this series. The Islanders are already up in their series, and Montreal will get its crack at Vegas tomorrow. May the odds be ever in the underdog's favor. I have some more thoughts throughout these playoff series in the next couple of episodes, but for tonight's episode, I did want to stop talking about hockey and kind of go off topic because I always talk about hockey on this podcast because it is a Winnipeg Jets podcast after all, but I thought it'd be fun to go a little bit off topic and maybe venture into some territory we don't often explore. And what better time to take a detour than E3? I'll tell you about some games that you maybe should be keeping a very close eye on in just a moment, but before then, I did want to tell you a little bit about why Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. If you've spent any time listening to this podcast before today, you already know I'm a big fan of Built Bars. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, they're the best tasting protein bar on the market because they're more like a candy bar with a 100% chocolate exterior and a soft chewy interior. They come in 9 delicious flavors like coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, and salted caramel. But you should always stay tuned to their website at BuiltBar.com and stay tuned to their newsletter as well because they always release some very special limited edition, limited quantity, super secret flavors, most of which are very limited in quantity. You have to basically place your order immediately because they sell out very often. 
Trust me when I say flavors like Churro Puff really are can't misses. As good as Built Bars taste, they're even better for you, with most bars clocking in at around 180 calories or less, 17 to 18 grams of protein, and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. They're perfect for every lifestyle, so place your order today. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. I wanted to close out tonight's episode going a bit off topic. It is now E3, and for those of you who love games and stuff, this is probably one of the most exciting times of the year. COVID has certainly changed the uh, the convention format. It's all online, so there's a lot of trailers and stuff that you can find on YouTube right now, but I'd say there are a handful of games I really think you should keep your eye out for. Somerville is one I would highly suggest keeping an eye on, especially if you like maybe like H.G. Wells, War of the Worlds kind of stuff. It's about a family trying to escape an alien invasion, and it's got very spooky aesthetics, a really great soundtrack it seems, and just very atmospheric tension. I'm curious to know what the actual plotline is, but it definitely seems like a, a survival tale that mostly focuses on the family more so than the aliens themselves. The artwork and style is very distinctive, so you'll have a hard time missing it. I think you'll very much enjoy it. I'm, I'm looking forward to it myself a lot. Hopefully it doesn't disappoint. But everything thus far, I'm impressed by it. Up next is a game that I really feel like is going to have a hard time disappointing anyone, and that's Forza Horizon 5. This series by now, you know what you're getting with it. It's an arcade racer with a huge playground, and you basically just get cut loose on some exotic terrain. This game actually takes place in Mexico, and you'll be racing through jungles, it looks like mountains with lava, just an incredibly diverse map with tons of stuff to do, and you'll always be able to play with friends and race around the countryside like no other. I love Forza Horizon because it's just a very casual experience. There's definitely like a lot of competitive aspects and stuff, but it really feels like just taking a drive out in wherever you are. I don't know, like last game was in England, which was pretty cool, but they've also had one set in Australia. And I mean, the environments are just always gorgeous. The weather effects are amazing. The racing is super fun. The car selection is always fantastic. I just feel like I have yet to be disappointed by the series. Even the weaker games where they haven't really changed much in the formula, it doesn't really seem to disappoint me. There does seem to be a focus on off-roading, which is very exciting for me. I love off-roading in rally games, so I'm excited to see if this one follows suit. I always feel like the environments are as much of a character of the game as the cars themselves, so hopefully Forza Horizon is as fun as it looks. The last two games I'm going to spotlight are very interesting for uh, atmospheric horror and action games, I would say. Stalker 2, for some of you, probably is one of your most anticipated titles. I know it is for me. Anyone who has played the original Stalkers or the Metro series knows exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't, it's like an open-world action RPG set in Ukraine um, with some very interesting atmospheric horror elements and things that I feel like you just have to experience to understand it. It's hard to explain because it's very freeform in a lot of ways. You basically set out on like a main quest, but everything after that, it's totally up to you. Whether you want to hunt for like really strange artifacts, avoid crazy dangerous anomalies in like a post-apocalyptic Chernobyl, and do battle with all sorts of monsters and occasionally other hunters looking for artifacts just like you. The sound design and art is always like a, a key part of this game and something that I feel like ratchets up the tension like 10 levels above what you'd normally expect. Stalker doesn't really have many equivalents, I would say. Um, it tends to be a very singular experience, so if number two is as good as it looks so far from the early gameplay footage, I, I am just, I'm on cloud nine, man. It'll be coming out next April, which feels like an eternity for a lot of us who have been waiting something like, I don't know, five to ten years for the next game. This sequel almost didn't happen, but I'm so glad that, in fact, GSC Game World is back with what looks like another banger. 
The last game has definitely gotten a lot of attention because it is another Bethesda game from the Arcane branch of their studios, and man, it looks like it's going to be a blast. We've only seen the cinematic trailer, but the concept of it, oh man, I'm super hyped. I am, of course, talking about Redfall, which appears to be an open-world anti-vampire shooter, which, if you ask me, based on the footage that they have of like some really crazy weapons, some uh, crazy combat, what looks like four-player co-op, I'm 100% down with this. I know that Bethesda always has really good co-op shooters. Arcane Studios, I trust them to craft a really engaging, really cool world. They just seem to be doing all sorts of super cool stuff ever since they got on the radar with uh, Dishonored. Arcane's obviously been around for a while, but Dishonored, I think, really put them on the map. So I'm super excited to see what Redfall is like. We'll have to wait quite a while for it. I think it's got at least another year out, but hopefully we'll get some early gameplay footage over the next couple of months. I think it could be a really fun one. Bethesda, they seem to know the exact talent to scout, and I feel like Arcane, they have yet to really disappoint me. Redfall and the rest are definitely at the top of my most interested list, but I'd be curious to know what has stood out for you from E3. Be sure to let me know at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. For tonight's episode, though, that is going to do it. Before you log off, don't forget to check out one of our other fantastic podcasts. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite shows. And as always, thanks for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!